Hello, dear listener. Welcome back to my second podcast of the life and times of Rock's Farm. We are extraordinarily hot today. We're in our early 30s. And uh, looking out the window, things are looking very parched and dry, which we do expect for this time of year. We've been very lucky. You know, early spring and early summer was a mixture of high temperatures as well as a lot of rain. So we've been very green and lush, which has taken the pressure off feeding the animals in these hotter days with lots of grass and growth. However, things are changing. In fact, as we speak, in Nelson, on the top of the South Island, uh, we are experiencing our worst bushfire, uh, I think, on record. So my heart goes out to the people living in the in that district in this, this uh, unknown situation. These uh, temperatures and uh, very hot conditions that have come unseasonably late have uh, fooled some of our animals. Currently... We have uh, had a lot of uh, our feathered friends sitting on eggs. And at the moment, we have a lot of newborn Japanese quail, ducklings, chickens, poults, which are baby turkeys, and Barbary doves. So um, we're having a, a, an extraordinarily long breeding season with our, um, our feathered friends. Anyway, I would like now to read Chapter 2 of our book, Canterbury Tales. Packer Ponderings now that I've got all that off my chest, I should really begin this collection of stories of life on our farm. How we went from being virtually penniless to Warwick's farm becoming a popular rare breeds farm stay with over 40 breeds of creatures from over 20 species. And yes, still virtually penniless. Over the years, Elaine and I have been talking about putting the stories of our animals into print and hopefully publishing them one day. And as you are listening to this, it looks as if we have been successful. To protect the innocent and not so innocent, some of the human names in the book have been changed. However, all the incidents described are based on actual happenings, and the stars, all of our wonderful creatures, you'll meet along the way, and their names are factual. To give you a little background, Elaine and myself, Chris, sorry about not introduce myself sooner, have been living on Warwick's farm with our three boys, Dean, Adam and Cody, since the early 2000s along with Bruce, the boy's father, a sceptical old bugger who co-owns the property and is the only one of us who has a full-time job. Anyway, here we were on this beautiful sunny day, watching our life symbolised by the procession of vehicles slowly exiting the property. Well, um, exit the property. After a sombre lunch, I removed my business clothes and replaced them with my flannel shirt, jeans and gum boots and went off to talk to the alpacas. Alpacas are great listeners, and like great listeners, they also listen with their whole faces, watching you and moving their heads in acknowledgement and understanding. Their large, soulful eyes are constantly searching yours for enlightenment and wisdom, and maybe even some alpaca nuts. The girls and I were talking, I was talking to were part of our breed of ten, and included Holly, an older black girl, who had blessed us with Young River, a white Korea, which is a baby alpaca, a few months earlier. River had taken the opportunity to latch onto his mother's undercarriage while she was standing still and was busy slurping away at her. My tale of woe that I was sharing with the girls gave way to memories of River on the day he was born. Alpacas are intriguing animals for many reasons that you'll discover as you read on, including the way they birth. On the Altiplano, the foothills of the Andes of Peru and Chile, where alpacas predominantly come from, predators roam around at night and over the centuries, alpacas have learned not to give birth at night for this reason. As one of the few animals that do not lick their young clean and dry after birthing, they can hang on for up to three weeks until the conditions are right, nice and warm and dry. 
It had been a damp early autumn, and Holly had been holding on for better weather for over a week, and Elaine and I had been on the standby for the new arrival. We always like to be handy when Korea arrived, just in case there are any problems, and fortunately, over the years, there have been very few. We were two days past shopping day, and the groans from the kids as the goodies in the pantry fast depleted were getting louder. The light showers turned into heavier rain, so we decided that we were safe to do a supermarket run. With a last glance at the nonchalant holly and a wave to the two well drillers who were delving ever deeper to try to find us some water, we were off. Returning a couple of hours later, heavily laden with groceries and the windows steaming up with the hot fish and chips we had just bought for lunch, we both glanced towards Holly's paddock. What's that? shouted Elaine as I abruptly pulled up trying to look through the foggy window. What was that indeed? A two-headed alpaca with one large anxious black fleecy face at one end and a tiny white bewildered-looking one at the other. As we leapt out of the car into the lightly falling rain, thoughts of our tantalising hot feed of crunchy fish and chips fast receding, our senses were hit by another sensation, as a deep, rumbling, roaring sound began to emanate from the next paddock along. Looking across, we watched the two well drillers leaping for shelter, as this geyser of water fired many metres into the air. I stood there watching the surreal spectacle for, two, for a second or two, until a quick slap on the arm from Elaine brought me back to my senses, and we went to join our two-headed fleecy beastie. Holly gave us a most unwelcome look, and with a couple more rushes, River plopped onto the soft, wet grass. It always fascinates me how fast these little things stand up once they have left their secure lodgings of the last eleven and a half months. Within twenty minutes, this wet, sorry-looking little guy was up on his feet and taking his first tentative steps. Once again, nature has taught them that while there may not be any predators around quite yet, they better get their skates on, because it'll be dark before they know it, and you have to learn to walk before you can run. Elaine meant to get a towel for me to dry him off, and a little coat for him to wear while it was wet. I contemplated how clever she was. Alpaca are camelids, part of the camel family, as are llamas, and as such, like camels, they have a tendency to spit at each other and on the odd occasion, any brave human who decides to mess with the young, particularly newborn. Furthermore, alpacas are ruminants, those animals that have two or three stomachs, and so have a choice over what ammunition to fire at any foolhardy two-legger. For major conflict, i.e. newborn defensive strategies, they tend to use their third stomach, the lower one, the one where the once green lush feed has been fermenting for several days in potent digestive juices. Here you go, Elaine said as she passed me the towel and the cute quilted waterproof coat. I idly thought for a moment about how less than five minutes ago I was looking forward to tucking to a steaming feed of mouth-watering fish and chips until Elaine nudged me and told me to hurry up as it was getting cold as, as were my chips. Bravely going where no wise man has gone before, I quietly walked up to Holly, telling her what a clever girl she was and how hungry I was, and, well, that was all I got before the first salvo arrived. Four of my five senses were assailed by this marvel of nature. First my ears heard the screechy spitting noise, and then my eyes momentarily saw a rapidly approaching light green mist of warmth before my face felt its arrival. And my nose, well, my poor nose, attempted to retract into my head as the overpowering pack of perfume settled around it, and this was all before I'd even got to touch the career. Like a combat soldier going over the top, I buried my head into my shoulders and took two quick paces towards the enemy, 
and gently but determinedly lifted the little thing into my arms and hot-footed it out of range as the tenth spit bomb exploded towards me. Now at a relatively safe distance, Elaine quickly and carefully pulled the coat around its middle and pushed the Velcro strips together, and then I quickly checked its nether regions to determine that he was indeed a boy. I then placed him back on his feet as Holly rapidly approached, her head tilted back, her throat making those telltale sounds of imminent stench, her ears down as we held our ground, knowing that Young River, while not her target, was her destination and first priority. And as long as they continued walking towards each other, we were safe from more green wet kisses. As I say, our packers are not known as great spitters at humans outside of scenarios such as this one. However, unlucky people have got caught in the crossfire involving two or three alpacas having an animated discussion. I have a great tip for people who find themselves in imminent danger of the green kiss, and that is to look at the alpaca's ears. I have no idea about the physiology involved, but alpacas whose ears are up appear to be unable to spit at you. The danger sign is when the ears go down. It's as if a valve is being opened and the green torpedo bays are now accessible. So if you feel a little uneasy, have a look at the closest alpaca, and if his ears are down and he is making noises and you're within a metre of it, then my advice would be to urgently step back and cover your nose. So there I was with my rumbling hungry tummy, soaked to the skin, covered in sticky smelly green yuckiness and afterbirth, but I had a silly grin on my face, as did Elaine. It was also wet, but not sticky or smelly. We had added a gorgeous white baby to our herd, and he looked perfect. So perfect was he that he is today a ribbon-winning stud alpaca, who has graced us and other alpaca owners with many beautiful offspring. We were still smiling widely as we sat down, freshly showered, to our soggy fish and chips.